0: This week, on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from the Korean Peninsula, where we see the fun, the horrifying, and the stinky sides of absolute power. The creature this time is Western Europe's first vampire, and the dangers of doing sorcery while working on the roof. This is Myths and Legends, episode 299, Long Con. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth the listen. Today, there are two stories from the Korean Peninsula about people taking things too far. On the first, we'll see an ambitious cousin of the king who doesn't want to be restrained by silly things like compassion and laws. No, it's just, I'm so surprised you were able to find a black horse. That's amazing. Sim shrugged. Was it? He brushed his hand along the side of the gray horse he had painted black. Just checking again that the paint had dried. Perfect. It is perfect. The king beamed. He bit his lip. You know, he had been hard on his young cousin. It must be difficult never being able to see power in this time. Like, just having to languish away in the castle for no other reason. And that his dad was born a year later than the king's dad. Primogenitor, double-edged sword. But the king wanted to give his cousin something. A governorship. One had just opened up, actually. Sim knew. The previous governor had been at the palace recently. Sim had dismissed the regular cooks for a few of his own men. And tragically, the governor had become violently ill. Nothing overly serious, nothing deadly just enough to vomit on the king at dinner, and get himself exiled. Then, one painted horse later, and the cousin was ready to move into the position. You're gonna turn this horse out, right? Sim asked. The king said he didn't know what that meant. Sim explained, turn out to leave them out in the field. This one was wild until a few days ago. Can't go putting him in the stables. Anyway, Sim thanked his cousin for the governorship, and got on the road. While he traveled, He smirked. Everything was going according to plan. Sim was great at being governor. I should qualify that, he was a terrible governor. If the average person's welfare or quality of life was something to be considered, he squeezed them for every bit of taxes he could extract. And then when he got all those cash strings, he made up new taxes. When it came to his position though, he was rock solid. He kept his guards happy, and the people sufficiently cowed. He also rolled around town in his sedan. And you're probably thinking, that doesn't make sense. A sedan is a mid-sized automobile. Well, yes, but there's also this story's way cooler version. You see, a sedan was a covered, movable chair. In this case, it was also a monocycle. Sim had a chair put on a single big wheel sitting on two poles. With two men on either side, he could roll through town. Ordinary people had to dive out of his way as he sped through, with four guys running around. It looked completely ridiculous, and yet everyone had to bow to him. It was just a top-notch flex. Sim paid his dues to his cousin, the king, and kept all the extra money he collected for himself. Then, troubling news came through. The king knew. Well, he knew something was up. You see, Sim had to physically leave the king's court, but he wasn't going to be without influence. He had spies all throughout the king's household, and he learned that the king suspected something. Sim's own administration was airtight, no leaks at all, so the king only suspected that Sim was squeezing his people because so many of Sim's people had come to the king, begging him for help. So, Sim learned that the king was sending someone, a spy, to find out what was really happening in Sim's region. One of Sim's plants in the king's court ran in, breathless. The spy from the king was on his way. He remembered the meeting between the king and the spy word for word. Here, read these. Sim skimmed the notes. Wow, verbatim. He started reading. "Uh, Do I have to, Yun? The spy whined to the king. The king narrowed his eyes. That was the job. He was the king's spy. The spy said, but his mare just had a colt. It was his only horse ready for the journey. The king rolled his eyes. And colts can't walk after, what, a few days? Bring the colt along. The spy grimaced. Uh all right. But seriously, what did it matter? Nobody really said Sim was doing anything cruel, just that taxes were a little high. The king said he trusted his cousin, but stuff like this had to be punished swiftly especially if it was a member of the king's own family. The spy should leave immediately, take the mare, let the colt follow along, and she can suckle him on the road. Hey, speaking of horses, has the spy seen the king's black horse? It disappeared after it rained the other day. Then the scene trailed off. Sim, the governor, folded up the notes. Thorough, though like, how many people are going to grimace and roll and narrow their eyes in one scene? Still, He used to say, "'Purse their lips a lot.'" Glad you're not using that one as much anymore. Sim's man in the court said, "'Thanks,' but he wasn't looking for notes. He had to get one of these out every week. And while he tried not to take shortcuts, some snuck through. Sim asked where the spy was, and his man in the king's court stood in attention. Yes, he had just stopped for the night at that one inn on the way. He would be here by nightfall. Sim asked how much it would be to buy this one off. The man from the court said no dice. He was an honest one. Sim stroked his chin. Hmm. Well, they could figure this one out. After Sim paced the room a bit, a finger shot up. Mare, Colt, he had an idea. It was more difficult to find someone with a tiger skin and a head that was still intact, than it was to nab the little colt, as it drank by the river's edge. Sim went along to make sure his orders were carried out to the letter, and he saw the men carrying the colt, hog-tied but thrashing, back to their little camp. Work quickly, Sim urged. When Yun, the spy, realized the colt was gone, he would come looking for it. The colt's mouth was bound to keep it from crying out, while the men went to work, dressing it up. An hour later, Yoon, the spy, was beside himself. This was his prized colt. He was going to sell this one to the king's household. It was lost. Colts don't just get lost. Something had happened. He didn't have time to keep thinking about what happened, because the next instant, a tiger burst from the trees and began running after him. Suddenly, Yun understood what happened to the colt. It was the same thing that would happen to the mayor and him if he stayed. He turned, spurring the horse onto a gallop, and took off, back toward the capital city. The tiger was, of course, the colt wrapped in the pelt of the tiger that Sim had procured, with the tiger's head mounted on his own. On one hand, I'm like, that's ridiculous. You'd have to realize that the tiger that's chasing you is a horse, not a tiger. But really, I've never been chased by a tiger because I'm standing here telling you that. If you're in a time or area where it's possible for a tiger to leap out of a tree line at you, I can't imagine it's a smart idea to pause a beat and parse out the anatomy of the animal. You run, which is exactly what Yoon did. He worked the mare to a lather, and he thought the tiger had to be some sort of demon when, somehow, it kept following him. It went miles until, finally, they made it to the gates of the capital. Yoon called out that there was a tiger chasing him. Get the guards! Kill this thing! But when the guards scrambled for their weapons, the tiger closed in and started suckling the horse. It was hungry after the long run. The guards walked over and, with a snip, cut the rope on the underside of the colt. The pelt stuck to the horse's sweat, but it eventually slid off. The people lost it. A tiger suckling a horse was one thing. A man running in terror from a colt dressed as a tiger? Hilarious. The king wasn't laughing though. He was convinced that Yoon didn't want to go and the whole thing was just an elaborate prank. Yoon was exiled to Jeju Island, a large island several miles off the coast of modern-day South Korea. Sim, the governor, received word that his plan had worked. The king thought Yoon, at best, a fool, or at worst, a liar. Sim didn't rest though. He ordered his own spies to put together detailed reports on everyone the king could possibly send. Soon, Sim heard, looking over the report. Insiders seemed to think that he was the next one to go. He wasn't as foolish as Yun. If he had strong opinions regarding the trip, he kept them to himself. He didn't ride a horse, but a white mule. He wasn't scared. He had killed tigers. We're not using the same tactic a second time. Sim, the governor, chastised the man. Then, he pointed out something on the paper. Wine. Soon loved his wine. Wine and the singing girls, Kisang. Now, Kisang were young women from enslaved families who were raised up to be good singers and conversationalists, courtesans. Sim found his move. He hired the best Kisang in the capital and had the most expensive wine shipped in. When Soon arrived at the inn that night, it was a full-on Nathan Fielder thing. No one in that inn or tavern wasn't a plant on the part of the governor. All the travelers staying at the place were taken with all haste to their destinations for free. Sim controlled every variable. Even the innkeeper's wife, who was no one in particular's wife, and she kept filling up the wine cups while the kissing entertained the man. Soon, the spy did not stay in his own room that night. Unfortunately, both he and the quote-unquote innkeeper's wife awoke to pounding on the door. It was her husband, the innkeeper. He was home early. You have to hide, she said, looking around frantically. Her husband would kill both of them. She shut him in the big chest, meant for holding cash coins, and in a panic, threw his clothes out the window. The innkeeper stormed into the room when his wife unlocked the door. She kissed him, but he pushed her away. Where was he? She asked. Who? the rider on the white mule, the man who came in last night from the capital. He's on the books in the room down the hall, but the room is empty. People said they saw her serving him wine, laughing, getting awful close. She was indignant. Was he spying on her? The innkeeper held up a hand. That was it. He shouldn't be afraid to leave the house on business because of who was going to end up in his bed. They were through. The wife sneered fine. They argued over who got what. The husband insisted on getting the inn and the wife said good riddance, but in return, she was taking whatever she could load onto the cart. He stopped her when she grabbed the cash box. The husband fumbled with the lock. Huh. It was heavy though. She wasn't taking that. They kept arguing until the husband insisted that they take the matter before the judge. The sweaty, aching form of soon kept from crying out as they slammed him down on the floor of the cart and they rambled on toward the town. The judge, of course, was Governor Sim. How many cash strings can something like that hold? Sim asked. The husband and wife looked at each other. Uh, 150 maybe, packed to the limit? Well, I can't decide who gets it. How about I buy it off of you for 200 cash strings? The husband and wife looked at each other. Uh, sure. Yeah, that was amazing. They took the money, which was actually their part of the payment for this whole farce, and left. Sim went about his day hearing other supplicants, while he let the man sweat it out in the chest until... There it was, a groan. Sim gasped. He snapped for the porters. That chest, there was a spirit inside. They needed to take it and throw it in the river. There was an almost imperceptible rumble within the chest. Sim grinned. He could almost feel the panic of the man sent to spy on him. Sim's guards nodded to him and the governor nodded back. They hefted the chest out and loaded it onto the carriage. At the river, the men loudly said they were going to take a break for lunch. Ope, left it back in the cart. One said he would go get it, the other said, no, 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 and let him come back with half a sandwich. They were both going and leaving this chest here. The man inside the chest knew that this was his chance. He pressed as hard as he could, and within moments, the wood cracked, splintered, and broke. He winced at the daylight and got away as fast as he could. Which was not very fast, the spy laughed as he recounted the story to the king. After he hit 30, like, he was sore after sitting down weird for a few minutes too long. So, being cramped up in a chest for the better part of a day, he couldn't even stand. So, he crawled naked for about two miles before stealing a cloak and slowly getting to his feet. (laughs) So, yeah, crazy times. So... You didn't check up on my cousin and see if he is unfairly squeezing his people for taxes. The spy said, well, no, but fun story, right? The king didn't respond. I'm exiled, aren't I? The king nodded. So exiled. The king sat back. All the spies he sent to check up on his cousin were extravagantly incompetent it was a wonder they won any wars. He sat back, time to bring in the anachronistic big guns. Kun. Not timid. Once killed a tiger with his bare hands to give the tiger a chance. Kun Never drinks in taverns, never even listens to the singing women. Supermarried and committed. Kun. The only thing he stands in awe of are the priests of the temple. The temple bells were his favorite song. He carried out every mission from the king like a holy mission. Once he locked on, there would be nothing stopping him. He would see it through until the end. So, yeah, I kind of think we don't want to mess with this guy, Sim's advisor said to him. Sim asked if the man had been paying attention at all. Every person could be manipulated. You only needed to know enough about them. Did the advisor ever hear of the mountain spirits? The mountain spirits that played Jungi? The advisor smiled. Oh. We'll see Governor Sims plan to waylay the incorruptible spy. But that will be right after this.
1: For us, family is a verb. It's something you do. And for Alex, his wife Carrie, and his twin brother Mike... I think they have the same idea.
0: They founded Faraday, a family brand that channels their love of beach lifestyle into clothing for life's greatest moments.
1: Jason and I wear a lot of Faraday stuff. There's just something about their clothes that I find natural and welcoming. That sounds weird to say, but it's Faraday's craftsmanship, the comfort, the sustainability.
0: This is the time to layer. And I hope you get to experience Faraday's legend sweater shirt. Uh, Chris is actually wearing one right now.
1: You know, let's say that I planned to do that.
0: Everyone should have at least one of these legend sweater shirts for men, women, kids—my Faraday stuff is so versatile. It's pick out a tree and celebrate the holidays-worthy, and most importantly, I feel good in it.
1: Faraday is giving all *Myths and Legends* listeners an amazing deal: twenty percent off on your order. Head to Faradaybrand.com/legends and use code LEGENDS at checkout to get this deal. That's code LEGENDS at Faradayf F-A-H-E-R-T-Y e r t y brand.com/legends for twenty percent off. Faradaybrand.com/legends.
0: What do open mic night, Wee soccer, and sip-and-paint studios have in common? They all make it possible for anyone to step up and do it. It's the same way with Shopify. As the all-in-one commerce platform, Shopify makes it simple for anyone to step up and start, run, and grow a successful business.
1: Shopify opens the door to selling to anyone from anywhere whether it's podcast merch or books or clothing or whatever you're into. With Shopify, you'll create an online store that fits your vibe, discover new customers and grow a following that keeps them coming back.
0: You'll have all the sales channels sorted and Shopify will grow with you. That's what I like most about Shopify. From an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, it's all there.
1: You can even sell across platforms like TikTok, Facebook and Instagram plus there's 24/7 support and educational libraries all at your fingertips
0: it's time to put your dreams and ideas out there and shopify is here to help you do that it's never been easier to start and grow a business thanks to shopify sign up for a free trial at shopify.com/legends all lowercase go to shopify.com/legends to start selling online today shopify.com/legends Kun stabled his horse and turned his ear to the mountain. Wow, what beautiful music coming from up in the hills. He pushed open the door and nodded to the tavern owner. One room, please. He was on a sacred mission from the king himself. He was a spy. The tavern owner nodded, cool. Great to tell strangers you're a spy. The tavern owner slid a plate of food to spy Kun and the man ate in silence. When he was finished, he sat back, very good. He was curious. That beautiful music playing out in the forest? Where did that come from? The tavern owner laughed. The legend of the music? (laughs) Don't think too much of it. No one had heard it in a thousand years. Those were the mountain spirits up in the temple. A legend, if you ask him. Kun, the spy, said, But for the sake of conversation, what was the legend? The tavern owner said, well, they were the spirits that lived in the mountains. Apparently, and once again, he thought that this was just a legend, but only the very good and pious could actually hear the music. It only played for one day, and for that day, the chosen were invited to worship the great Buddha with the gods themselves. Kun became deadly serious. The music, playing right now, up in the mountain. The tavern owner said he didn't, Did the spy hear something off in the mountains? Kuhn stood. He had to go. The tavern owner called out to him. Wait, did he hear something up in the mountains? Kuhn found his horse, tacked up, and left immediately. He followed the sounds of the music deep into the mountains. Sim was waiting in another room. He heard the thud. He's out. Sim slid the door open. Uh, They couldn't catch his head? Whatever. How much time did they have? They had until morning. Kuhn had arrived close to midnight, to the temple glowing on the hillside. It had been dilapidated, but Governor Sim had a crew working on it the past 24 hours straight. When they finished, a mere hour before Kuhn rode up, it looked like the home of the Buddha himself. It was called the Hall of Perfect Learning, and Kun had walked in, bowed low before four elderly men, their beards almost as long as their ornate robes. Four boys, in robes themselves, had run the elderly men bowls of sacred wine. Kun raised his head as the four men said that they had been waiting for him for a thousand years. Together, they would ascend from this earth and join with the immortals themselves. They would return in the morning. Was Kun ready? Sim had watched through a crack in the wall as Kun swallowed hard. Yes, he said, his voice cracking. You have been chosen, Kun. You have been chosen by the Buddha. Drink. Drink and join us in worship in the heavens. The wine was, of course, drugged. Kun was feeling the effects a bit after the first one. He hit the floor after the third. Get him changed, Sim ordered. They had men watching kun on his ride and had tailors at the ready. They had a complete wardrobe change for him and when that was done, they loaded him onto a cart and took him to a serene grove on the side of the mountain. The sun was starting to rise when they laid him on a bed of moss and covered him with a woven leaf blanket. An hour after sunrise, kun awoke after the best night of sleep in his whole life. He looked around. Wait, where was he? He thought back to the night before. To the temple. Was this... Was this where the temple had been? He drank the sacred wine. He worshipped with the gods. He didn't remember, though. Maybe his human mind couldn't comprehend what he had seen and experienced. Maybe, in time, with prayer and meditation, he would start to understand what he had seen. He rose. His clothes were in tatters. It was exactly what he had been wearing the night before, but it had rotted on his body. Kun held out an arm, and yeah, they were practically falling off him now. Kun emerged from the grove and frowned. Ah, Bones of a horse tied to a tree with his bridle. Animals had picked over his pack. He apologized to the animal and found his way down the mountain. He walked the path and stopped a farmer. You, sir, what day is this? The farmer said he... Didn't know. He was a medieval farmer. He didn't know dates. It was a day when the sun rose, a day in summer. Kun looked to his tattered cloak and rotted walking stick. Uh, Best not to arouse the superstitions of the peasant class. He smiled at the man. Good sir, farmer. Last night there was one of the king's messengers at the inn not far down the road, a Kun. Did the farmer happen to know anything about him? The farmer laughed. <laughs> that old legend? Yeah, he knew about Kun. Kun the disappearing holy man, the last one to hear the music of the mountains. Coon furrowed his brow. Disappearing holy man? Sounds ridiculous. Tell him the whole story now, please. The man said, his grandma always told the story as she heard it when she was a girl from her own father, one of the men supposedly at the inn that night. Kun... Nodded, complicated build-up, but he was following, mostly, yes. Wait. The farmer kept talking. He said Coon had supposedly heard the music of the mountain spirits and went off to worship with them. The people were concerned when he didn't return the following day, so they petitioned Sim, their super fair and nice governor, to follow up with the king, who said, yes, he had sent Coon, but he hadn't heard from him. Kuhn became something of a folk legend. Well, That was about... 200 years ago, now? Kuhn dropped his rotted stick. Two hundred years? He, he had to get home. He ran off as fast as he could toward the capital city. The king found Kuhn staggering through the graveyard... Reading the tombstones, no one, no one could tell him, no one could tell him where his family was. Why were they not buried with honors? The king, flanked by attendants, walked up to Kun. The king was about to ask why Kun was home, but Kun broke down. He, this was his fault. They probably thought he left them, that he abandoned them. Then Kun looked up. The king... (laughs) The king, oh, you precious thing, you have no idea. He gripped the king's puffy cheeks. The king looked just like the king from Kun's time. It was uncanny. The line of kings was truly strong and blessed by the gods and... Kun, the king stopped him. Kun, though in tears, furrowed his brow. Uh, How did the king's great-great-great-grandson know his name? It's because I'm not my grandson. I'm me, the king informed the spy. Kun, you left yesterday. Kun said no. Yesterday? What? Look at his clothes. The man on the road said it had been 200 years. He was a legend. Okay, you're, you're mad. Okay, that's what's happening right now. The king turned his head and nodded. The guards seized Kun. They did take him to his family's house, in part to show him that he hadn't been sleeping for 200 years, and also in part to tell them all to pack for exile, because they were being exiled. The man was too nonplussed to argue. The king turned to his guard, Call my cousin to court. No delays, no exceptions. Sim stood before his cousin, the king. He didn't know why he was here. That was a first for him. You have spies everywhere, on every council, the king said. Basically completing Sim's internal monologue. Sim swallowed hard. What? No? I mean, it was true, but this time it was different. The king hadn't talked to anyone regarding the nature of this visit. He was playing things pretty close to the chest on this one, and Sim knew better than to test his royal cousin's patience. I sent one man to you, and he comes back a coward, chased by a calf in a tiger suit. I send the next man to you, a brave man, and he comes back with barely a thread on his back. I send the best spy in my entire kingdom, Kun, and you broke him. He still can't comprehend that he didn't spend 200 years in heaven each man met with a response perfectly tailored to their weaknesses and situations. Sim said, allegedly. The king said, Sim, come on, his best spies didn't just turn coward or go mad. Also, Sim didn't ask why the king was sending spies to his region. The king said, look, he knew what Sim was up to and he wanted in. Sim blinked. What? The king said, yeah. Sim was obviously playing the game at a whole different level than anyone else in the kingdom, including himself. The only news to come out of Sim's district was a few supplicants complaining that taxes were too high, and really, at what point in human history did people not think taxes were too high? I know, right? Sim said. They had to do so much stuff and needed money, but when he starts riding a sedan around the city, people get all uptight about it. Yeah, you really shouldn't be showy, the king said. Basically, the king said he was sorry that it took him so long to realize what an asset his cousin could be. He wanted Sim to join him as his second in command, oversee his household, his money, and his kingdom. He wanted Sim on his side. (laughs) The king laughed. Uh, For all the spies Sim had in court, he shuddered to think what would happen if Sim was against him. While the king laughed, Sim gave the smallest of head shakes to the guards standing just to the left of the king, before meeting his cousin's smile. <laughs> oh, that would be ridiculous. So, that's how Sim was brought into the king's administration. In no time, he became the power behind the throne, and everyone in the kingdom who was a cousin of the prince named Sim, was happy and prosperous. I do like how the hero in this story is the villain in many of the other stories we've told. Sim, to his credit, did find non-violent ways to neutralize his opponents, using intelligence and guile to always be one step ahead of everyone, most of all the king. He's like the Sheriff of Nottingham if the classic villain was the protagonist. Also, can you imagine if the Sheriff of Nottingham had this level of cunning, like someone who could actually meet Robin blow for blow? That would be amazing. Anyway, Sim used corruption, mostly innocuously, but the rule in our next short story will not. But that will, once again, be read after this.
1: There are tons of conspiracy theories out there. Flat Earth, Area 51, the list goes on.
0: Author and cultural historian Colin Dickey takes a deep dive into bizarre theories in his book, Land of Delusion, on Scribd. It's a journey into the warped logic of conspiracy theorists, and Colin thinks it may hint at society's future trajectory. One topic is Tartaria, this Russian empire thought to once stretch from San Francisco to Antarctica. I guess it's all based on the 1893 World's Fair.
1: Learn more about the weird and dangerous world of conspiracy theories exclusively on Scribd, one of the world's largest digital libraries, with instant access to ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, podcasts like this one, and lots more
0: all in a single subscription, all for one price. On your desktop, your phone, on the go, and get access to Scribd's originals, only available on Scribd, written by authors like Margaret Atwood, Stephen King, Roxanne Gay.
1: And now, Colin Diggy with Land of Delusion. Dive into the Land of Delusion today with a free 60-day trial at try.scribd.com myths. That's try.scribd.com myths to start with a free 60-day trial.
0: From the creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, Wondery goes deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now, Wondery is launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Take a deep dive into the most devious of scams, manipulative cults, and the coldest of cases. It's Wondery's Exhibit C. There you can view all the evidence through a detective's lens. Go step by step through the many twists and turns of each true crime case. And then you can join the Exhibit C online community. Access not only exclusive show merchandise, but also member-only content. Hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses, and investigators. They take you beyond the evidence and into the case file.
1: If you like true crime, this is something for you. It's different than what's out there, and the community piece is something new.
0: Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook, or find it on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com. And listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. The minister looked at the notice. Oh. Oh, no. No one met his eyes on the way home, but he wouldn't have noticed if they did. It was her. Her name was on the board. The king, not the king in the story we just told a different king, the king was the actual worst. At first, it started where he would spot a young woman on the street, point at her, and his guards and servants would drag her to the palace for, yeah. Then, one evening, he was sitting at dinner. Going full Caligula, he asked the wife of a nobleman, the honored guest who was dining with him, if she would join him in his private quarters. The couple laughed it off, awkwardly, but the king, whose guards entered the room with swords at their side, made it clear that he wasn't asking. Now, he was full-on unhinged. Realizing that no one was going to stand in his way, he didn't even bother with the pretense. He would post that he desired so-and-so minister or noble's wife, and she was to report to the palace under pain of death. The nobles looked the other way when someone was called to the palace, everyone trying to keep their head down enough not to be chosen. Now, though, this minister saw his wife's name on the board. She had been called. Okay, the young woman said when the nobleman returned home. He just, what? She wasn't going to weep? Cry? Run? The wife shrugged. No? The minister blinked. Really? Wait, was she into this? The wife steadied a gaze at him. He needed to watch what he said. Look, if it rains every day, do you panic? Or do you prepare for getting caught in a rainstorm? The husband said, both? The wife nodded, yeah, that's where they were different. She would stop by her shed and then she would get on the road. It would be better if he didn't travel with her and she did stop by her shed, a structure on the edge of their estate that she had insisted they build when they got married a year prior. The minister had been forbidden from looking inside, everyone was, but she went out there a few times a week. She emerged with a lockbox, kissed her husband goodbye, and told him that she would see him in a week. He said, but no one had ever returned from this call, she winked, not yet. The guards didn't have to show up at the nobleman's house because, by the time they were ordered to leave, the young woman was already at the capital. The king was pleasantly surprised. There had only been a few excited by the prospect of being with their king, but it was a nice change of pace. The young woman, standing before the king, Gave the man an eyebrow waggle. Hey there, the king smirked back, hey yourself. He was so glad she arrived willingly. The king's harem, if you could call it that, sat behind him. The young woman didn't look at them in any of their eyes. She couldn't. She only smiled at the king. Beautiful dress, the king said with a smile, and then the smile grew a little strained. I made it just for you, the young woman said, stepping forward. The king's smile morphed into a grimace as he looked to his left and right, what in the world? The young woman stepped forward, and another young woman, the wife of a nobleman, who had been a childhood friend of hers, one who was now sitting to the right of the king, full-on vomited. The king gagged, throwing up in his mouth, oh my gosh, what was that smell? The young woman, the one who had just been called, looked confused. She didn't smell anything, but she was ready to be with her king. She took the king's hand and the man recoiled. Oh my gosh, it was her. She reeked. What was that? The others in the court were screaming and vomiting. The young woman said no. She didn't understand. She wanted to be with her king. The king shook his head and pointed to his guards. Get her out of here. Get her out of the palace, out of the city. Get her as far away from him as possible. The young woman screamed after the king, reaching for him as she was carried out of the hall, pleading for him to reconsider. The door slammed shut, and it took a week before the smell left the palace. The young woman wept on the road until she was certain that she wasn't being followed. She was about halfway home when she straightened up and walked to the river. There, she had hidden a change of clothes. She bathed and burned the dress the one padded with rotting meat. You see, she knew it was a possibility from the moment she married, but she loved her husband and, let's face it, she was a nobleman's daughter in medieval times and there weren't a lot of paths for her that didn't involve marriage. So, she prepared. She kept a rotating supply of warm, green, rotting, maggot-ridden meat hanging in the shed on the edge of the property. She knew the only way to protect herself from the king was to get him to reject her. So, that's what she did. She dressed and made her way home to her flabbergasted husband, who embraced the woman he thought lost forever And wait. Did she smell that? She rolled her eyes and went inside. Her name was never called again. Chase our playful abuse of power today in the first story with an actual horrific one. The ending of the second story today is still kind of terrible because, while the young woman was praised by the story for her bravery, presumably things continued on for the king and the nobles, and anyone else who got in his way. Yeah, not really a happy ending. Next week, we have a Christmas episode, and since it's a Scandinavian Christmas, that, of course, means bandits and murder. Real quickly, if you'd like to support the show, we have ad-free and bonus episodes available on our site and now through Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect, we've been more active on Instagram lately and we're having fun with polls and show art and AMAs and other stuff. If you're on Instagram, check us out. Our username is Myths and Legends, Or follow the link in the show notes. The creature this time is the Abartig, Western Europe's first vampire. From Ireland, tyrants are bad. Evil sorcerer tyrants, bad to the third power. If you suspect your spouse is being unfaithful to you, to the point where you are climbing along the edge of your castle to catch them, things are not going so great for you. If you then fall to your death, well, a bad day just got worse. Evil sorcerers though, they have a backup plan the people were not expecting their tyrant to return from the grave the following night and demand bowls of blood from them. Now, these were the Middle Ages, so bloodletting was not unheard of, but still, the people who had been pushed far enough living under a tyrant were not okay with him literally draining them of their lifeblood. Figuratively, metaphorically, sure, that was feudalism, but this was a step too far. During the day, when he was asleep in his grave, they hired a hero. Ireland's first vampire needed Ireland's first vampire hunter, and he was immediately killed the following night. It's like if Dracula was also Dumbledore, he barely stood a chance. So, they hired another, and another, and it all ended up the same. Finally, a druid rolled into town and told them something. You can't kill what doesn't live. They didn't need to kill him, only trap him. The druid ran him through with a sword made of yew wood, and while he was weakened, buried him upside down under ash branches, covering him with a boulder and thorns. And there he remains, even to this day. It's said that he can still attack people who get close, so watch out if you visit the town of Slataverti, which apparently means a Bartig's grave, but it just goes to show, if you're having trouble in your relationship, try to talk it out instead of walking along the edge of your house, dying, and coming back as a vampire tyrant. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.